Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Stand-up comedian and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me panelist Paula Poundstone will be performing in Logan on Saturday. Ahead of that appearance, she's going to be joining me for the hour on Access Utah. We're going to go behind the scenes of NPR's popular news quiz show and talk comedy and current events. We'll also talk, uh, likely talk about Paula's cats. And uh, that's been popular on Twitter, by the way. You can join the program and talk with Paula Poundstone. Here's the number, 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. You can get your question or comment to us as well on our email, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com, or on Twitter, at Utah Public Radio, and on our UPR Facebook page. Uh, Paula Poundstone's event is Saturday evening at the Cache Valley Center for the Arts, Ellen Eccles Theater. Tickets are available. CacheArts.org is the place to go. And we have a reception for uh, UPR uh, members, UPR listeners, but that reception after the show is sold out, so we're looking forward to uh, those who who got in early. Uh, Paula Poundstone, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? Uh, Good, good. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. Uh, So... Uh, we're looking forward to having you and Logan. That's uh, coming up. You're on tour, of course, and uh, and looking forward to that reception of uh, after the after the show. I want to start out talking about your shows. Uh, I think one feature that uh, people really enjoy is is your interaction with the audience. That's something you don't get with 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 some shows. You you really place that at the centerpiece. I do. It's my favorite part of the night. Um, my favorite part of the night is just talking to the crowd. I do the time honored. Where are you from? What do you do for a living? And in this way, um, little biographies of audience members emerge, and I use that from which to set my sails. And um, I'm trying to figure out why my phone is scratchy. Yeah, there's a little bit of a scratch there. It's not too bad. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I I have no idea. Uh, You know why the phone is scratchy? Because I'm on the radio. Oh, I guess that's why. That's right. It wouldn't be scratchy for the bus to come. Not lighting a bus for the cigarette to come. <laughs> there you go. Um, I wonder. You've recounted the story, I'm sure, many times. What 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 got you into comedy? The, your bio it, it, it has this intriguing line. Twenty five years ago, Paula Poundstone climbed on a Greyhound bus and traveled across the country, stopping at open mic nights and comedy clubs as she went. It's got, you got to take a certain personality to be able to take that kind of life, right? You really want to be have to be driven? I don't know. I I had started uh, I had started doing open mic nights in Boston, um, and 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 it was thirty five years ago. Um, I, I I was bussing tables for a living, so it's not like I turned my back on a on a on a law degree. Um, but uh, you know, I I really had wanted to be a comic since I was a a little kid. I wasn't always sure what the what the path to it would be, and and I, it was really just time and place in that I happened to be living in the city of Boston when they started up a, an open mic, um, you know, for stand-up comedy in a, in a, in a couple of clubs back then. And, uh, yeah, so, I, I, you know, I, I, I went on and sort of hacked my way through, through my five minutes, because that's the premise of the open mic, is that anybody who wants to can go on stage and do five minutes. And uh, the first time it seemed glorious, and the second time... It was miserable, uh, which is the same story for almost any comic you'll ever talk to, I think. And, um, yeah, I just kind of kept at it. There weren't um, all that many of us back then. And so I, I, you know, I got quote-unquote paid work. We got paid 10 bucks um, pretty early on. 
And after I'd been there for about a year, that's when I, I, I took the Greyhound bus around the country to see what clubs were like in, in, in other cities. And I ended up in San Francisco, hmm. um, which uh, was a perfect fit for me at the, at, at the time. And, and uh, so I worked out there for quite a while. Boston, all the way across to San Francisco, that's, that's a big culture shift as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I, I felt when I, uh, there was a club called The Other Cafe in San Francisco, and there were a couple Boston comics that had already gone out to San Francisco. I really wasn't an enormous pioneer. Um, there were a couple comics that were already out there, and so uh, um, I had heard of the, you know, the, a few of the clubs through them. And um, there was this place called The Other Cafe. It was on the corner of... Uh, Carl and Cole Streets uh, over in the Haight-Ashbury district, and uh, it had a window behind the stage. They kept a bamboo shade rolled down um, for the backdrop, but um, I get to where I would roll the shade up on purpose so that I could see the people walking walking past the place, and uh, it, it, it was just a light. It was the perfect location because it was the perfect amount of foot traffic. It wasn't interruptive. Um, it wasn't it wasn't constant foot traffic. It was just I don't know every so often people were walking by, and it was just the perfect amount. So I I spent a lot of time um, just referring to stuff outside the window, and uh, it, it was great practice. Um, uh, and I also hosted an open mic there one one night a week. And what was great about that is I went. I would I would be on stage so much as the as the host. Your job was to introduce people, but also to uh, keep the audience engaged. Because sometimes you're bringing on some people that were pretty lousy, um, and so uh, you know you just had to entertain them enough to keep them engaged. And it was a long night, and I would run out of material within the first few minutes. And so what was great about it was I was forced to sort of, you know, stretch and uh, and get stronger at just talking to the crowd. And uh, they had a reunion. That club only existed for about six years. They had a 30-year reunion a couple of years ago now um, at another venue. And uh, audience members and people who used to work there and comics came out of the woodwork to go to that reunion. It was so much fun. Hmm. You said those that were the days. those were the days. That's right. Uh, you said starting out was was in standup was miserable, and it was for a lot of standup comedians. I wonder what what has to click. What has to? What do you learn? What do you? I don't, maybe it's different for every. Well, I think the part person. that is uh, standard for all of us isn't so much the misery necessarily as the fact that the first time you went on stage, it was great. Now they used to do this thing when you do an open mic night. They it was. I, I don't know who started this, but they would always make a a big deal out of the fact that it was your first time on stage. And so the audience was um, very sympathetic to you the first time. Uh, and so in truth, you know, you could have been pretty lousy and, and still had the this very sort of supportive response from the crowd. Um, whereas the second time you went on, no one ever bothered introducing you, saying, "Well, this is only the second time they're on." 
um, you know, by the second time you were on, I guess you were supposed to have been a seasoned professional. So the second time you were on, you, they didn't go, go to the trouble of, t- of telling the audience what a novice you were. Um, and therefore, you were judged, I think, under a harsher standard. Um, and so the second time was a disaster. Uh, and and so I, I guess if you could weather that storm, um, then 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 you uh, it was like a a hazing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You get past that, you're yeah. in. <laughs> you're, you're in, yeah. What what's different, if anything, probably is uh, between early days of stand up and, and and what you do now, or how you do it. Now, when I'm introduced, I like them to tell to, to tell the crowd how many times I've been on stage before, trying to solicit their sympathy. Um, I think maybe that helps. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, I I don't know. I mean, people ask me all the time if the crowds have changed. I, I, I probably in those nightclub settings they have, but mercifully, I'm not there anymore. Um, I mostly work in theaters and. Uh, uh, performing arts center kind of places, mostly. And um, the crowd that comes to see me, I mean, sometimes I, I, my, my favorite combination is when someone comes up to me after the show and, and they say, well, you know, uh, I've, I've seen you five times and they list the cities that they've seen me in and, 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 and then they say, and, and, and I brought my friend, she's never seen you before. Or he's never seen you before. Um, I have a, I have a following for years and years and years, um, and then hopefully, uh, you, you know, ho- hopefully new people entering into the mix all the time. So for for me, the crowds crowds really haven't changed exactly. Hmm. Um, they come because they like that. I don't know. I guess because they like what they what they see. We seem to have a good time together. It seems to work out. I'm told that the you know that the um, for example, open mic nights, um, f- the interest in that uh, form uh, dropped a while back, so I'm told. And therefore, um, people used to tell me, I don't know if it's still that way or not, but that as a, as an open mic comic, you had to pay to go on or you had to, um, or you had to bring a certain amount of people with you. Now, we didn't always have big crowds. There was a period of time where the open mic night was the hottest night of the week um, in, in, uh, in both Boston and San Francisco. Uh, that was more a reflection of the economics of the audience members, I think, because they also used to be free nights for the audience. Um, it was free. I mean, then, then they'd go buy drinks, and that's how the club made their money. Um, but, uh, gee, if I had had to pay to go on, I don't think I could have done it because I didn't have any money. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of tough. It would eliminate some people. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, more with Paula Poundstone. We've got it for the hour, and uh, you have this opportunity to interact with Paula Poundstone. Several ways to do that. One eight hundred eight two six one four nine five is the toll free phone number. Our email is upraxcess at gmail.com. You can join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. And on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page, we have an email and a couple of tweets we'll get to following uh, the break. And, of course, we'll talk about Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. We're uh, going to talk about uh, current events, uh, comedy, um, and uh, much more. And uh, hopefully you'll talk with Paula Poundstone. Paula Poundstone is coming to Logan on Saturday. 
Uh, her appearance at the Cache Valley Center for the Arts is uh, tickets are available, and you can go to cashearts.org to get tickets to uh, go see Paula Poundstone. And we're happy to have uh, a reception following, sold-out reception with uh, UPR members uh, following that show. But the uh, tickets for the show are still available. Cashearts.org is the place to go. More following the break. Hi, it's Lynn Rosetto-Casper. When it comes to basic flavors, bitter is a dare from nature. Bittersweet chocolate, beer, strong coffee. Why does it become so appealing the older we get? Well, we have some ideas. Join us this week on The Splendid Table, the show about life's appetites from APF. Tuesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. How do you manage work-life balance? For many of us, life seems to have two speeds, fast and faster. The pressures at work are followed by the needs and demands at home. A recent study found that more than half of American workers felt overwhelmed by their workload at some point. Even so, one-third of those surveyed had no plans to make the vacation days they had available. No matter how energetic you may be, stretching yourself to the limit every day puts your health and happiness at risk. Frequent stress takes a mental and physical toll on your body. If you are often stressed out, you may feel irritated, worried, or depressed, and may have frequent headaches, backaches, or an upset stomach. A wise goal is simply to do what you reasonably can. This will help you strive for a balance between your work and home activities. If you can also manage to take time for yourself every day, you'll be on the road to a greater well-being. This is Dana Barrett for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We have Paula Powellstone on the program today. She's coming to Logan. Uh, she'll be at the Ellen Eccles Theater on Saturday. And you can uh, purchase tickets to that event at cashearts.org. It's a place to go, cashearts.org. And we have a sold-out reception for UPR members following uh, that appearance. Uh, the biography on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, Paula Poundstone is a mother, stand-up comedian, writer, host, and lecturer. And despite her disdain for quote-unquote stupid computers, you can follow her on Twitter and like her on Facebook. Paula Poundstone, I love your one of your most recent tweet uh, uh, Facebook posts. You say, sometimes I don't really know what to say. I only wish that would stop me. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel that I say the wrong thing professionally. Yeah. In, in every situation, <laughs> I can be counted on <laughs> to say to say something uninformed. Yeah, and and is there? A, I don't know. There's probably pressure. You know, your your fans are waiting on your next word, so you you, you got to say something, right? I I wish I could say it was just for that reason. No, even I mean socially, I'm horrible. I uh, I don't edit well. I you see. Know? I mean, I don't uh-huh. self-edit well. It, it's uh, um, I suppose I'm. Uh, I'm probably somewhat biologically impulsive, but there you have it. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk a little about Wait, Wait. I don't know if you get tired of talking about Wait, Wait, uh, but it's... Uh, that's, I love Wait, Wait. No, um, so I wonder, what, my first question, we'll get to uh, some listener questions here, to, some of which have to do with Wait, Wait. Uh, but you have a post uh, on your website, which is, by the way, paulapoundstone.com. Uh, it's titled, I'm Drinking an Egg Right Now. You're in Philadelphia. You say, I'm quoting you, I stayed up all night watching films of Mo Roca, uh, is it Roca or Roca? 
Um, and uh, Tom Bodet playing on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Around 4 a.m., I realized that no matter how hard I try, I can't beat those guys. Uh, is is it is there a real sense of competition? Oh, yeah, we're actually trying to win. I, and, you know, I love every opportunity I have um, to clear up uh, the, uh, you know, the misperception on this. Uh, a lot of people seem to believe I throw the matches. No, I'm trying desperately to win. I just so happen to not be very good. Um, I think I hold the record for losses. Um uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's very fun, and we're having a good time. But I, I really am trying to win. I, mm-hmm. I, I cram uh, ahead of time for the news. Apparently, not as effectively as I need to. Um, but uh, you know what? Always, I mean, not that I don't miss easy questions because they do. Uh, you, you know, but 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 what always ends up bringing one uh, down? Uh, I mean, points wise, not emotionally. It's, uh, you know, the news of the weird. Um, sometimes I pride myself in not knowing the news of the weird, but, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, the weird robber stories and, you know, what did somebody, you know, rob a bank with? Oh, it was a mushroom. I, you know, I, <laughs> I often don't know those answers. And you can't really study for that unless you... It's you read well, everything, I guess. No, you can, but it's it's a more um, yeah, it's a harder. Uh, it, you you have to go further to study for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, and okay, I don't want to seem bitter, but the others cheat. <laughs> uh, that could be part of their secret. Yeah. No one ever talks about the steroids, mm-hmm. but you know, there's doping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we have our suspicions. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is uh, so we tweeted out, um, you know, some of the subject matter um, that Paula Poundstone will be on on the program, and here you are. We'll talk about wait, wait, comedy, current events, and cats. I want to get to talking about your your cats, uh, and then um, we had this uh, tweet in response. Ak at Ak Salter responds and studies. Don't forget to talk about studies. You you take an <laughs> issue with studies on the program. You know, Peter often, uh, Peter Sagal, the host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, will, will often, um, uh, y- you know, part of the answer to a question or part of the question often refers to some lame study that someone has done, uh, y- you know, trying to, uh, uh, I-, I don't know, it's, there, well, there's a st- I-, I can't think off the top of my head about what they've all been about. I, I think one was where if you drew a food item, like if you drew on a piece of paper a picture of a pizza, um, it somehow satisfied your hunger. <laughs> and, you right. know, just the idea, I, I, every time he says something like that, um, and he'll tell, you know, I say, well, wait a minute, who did that research? Where did that come from? And and who on earth commissioned it? Uh, and, and, and why is that what our college students are doing? <laughs> Um, uh, they're, called, they're drawing pizza. It doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> they need to do something more academic, I think. Yeah, yeah, it does seem um, that way. I mean, some of them are really silly. I read a, I read a great one that would, I, Peter didn't use it, but it would have been perfect. I read a great one on, I think it was the BBC website one time, about um, they had done a study to f- that that proved that rats feel regret. <laughs> <laughs> and the way they set the study up was they had trained the rats that if, if there was two kinds of food, 
um, and rats being rats, they would eat either one, but one of the kinds of food was very yummy. And the other one, you know, they could eat it, but it wasn't as tasty. And so they, they, the rule for the rats was if they ate the, the not very tasty food first, then they didn't get to have the yummy food. <laughs> and um, so they put the rats in, you know, I don't know, it was a maze or a tunnel or whatever, and they go buy the not very tasty food first. And um, the, the rats succumbed and, and ate the not very tasty food. <laughs> and as they went past the yummy food, which now they would no longer be able to eat, apparently they looked with longing at it. So they had regrets. Yeah, exactly. So now we know the rats have regrets. Right. Thank goodness. We needed to know that, yes. Right, because yeah. this is saving lives, precisely. Now I'm picturing and those. A, those are the sorts of yeah. those are the sorts of studies that Peter often refers to, and 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 I I often you know I have to question him on the validity of the of the study, and I I often find that the sample size was small. Um, or that the university was using questionable judgment. <laughs> you 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 call them out on those studies. I've had to. Uh, yeah, uh, and now I'm now I'm focusing on a on a on a rat reclining on his couch with his paw up on his forehead. He's he's got on we. He's he's got regrets. That's right. Yeah. The, re- the regretful rat. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's one. By the way, um, uh, NPR sometimes will feature segments from Wait, Wait, and they, they featured one um, which, which, which features you prominently, uh, talking about this very thing, uh, December 28th, uh, 2013. Um, and another study you took issue w- with, uh, I guess this is a real study, a study that showed that men can attract women best in nightclubs, I believe, by uh, dressing up like John Travolta, the, the disco uh, oh yeah, white three-piece yeah, suit with the, with the with the uh, shirt, you know, unbuttoned. Yeah, and I, it, again, I you know, I, I, I'm sure there was not a big enough sample size for that because yeah. I I don't think you could get that many men willing to dress up uh, like John Travolta <laughs> at this point. Certainly not on a college campus. Right. Yeah, you'd hope you wouldn't be able to. Yeah. Yeah. You have exactly. To pay big money. Um, I, uh, you know, by the way, Saturday Night Fever doesn't hold up all that well. Yeah, that's what you're saying this in this clip. You, you went back and watched it. I have, yeah, I've I've watched it, and um, and I can remember, uh, you know, I can remember liking it when I was young. Um, I, I still like the music, I suppose, but uh, I, you know, now it's it's almost unwatchable. Hmm. Uh, sorry, John Travolta. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wonder, I've always wondered this about a show like Wait, Wait, and, and, and you know, people, are stand-up comedians like yourself who do some uh, current events. Is there a kernel of comedy in any current event? For example, I was thinking about this, the, the events in Paris recently. Uh, with enough distance, is there some comedy there, or you just leave some things alone? Uh, well, I mean, the truth is there is. Uh, I've had, uh, last night I was at a... Um, a uh, well, it was it was sort of a a spontaneous. Uh, I don't know how they say it. I I don't know. They shiva sitting, um, and uh, we uh, a friend of ours had died, and and uh, you know, and uh, you know there were we had big laughs actually, and uh, I wasn't with the guy when he died, but a lot of the people at the 
at the at the shiva were and, and and if that's how you say it i don't even know but they, but but they had big laughs even in the even in the death bedroom so uh, uh the answer is yeah absolutely i think i think everywhere nature provides us with that i mean it's a great it's a great mechanism whether or not i personally would be you know clever enough to find the great humor in the um in for example the paris thing i i i'm not even sure it's worth the risk <laughs> you know people yeah. are so funny especially with twitter now uh, i find it very annoying actually how many people go to the trouble of writing stuff like too soon or or boy, you didn't, you didn't, you know, you know. One of the things about Twitter is, it's it's given, you know, it's part of the fun of it. Uh, it's part of the annoyance of it too. Is it's sort of given everyone a voice, which is wonderful. But you know, need we all be critics? Um, so, if you if you put a joke out there uh, on a something that's very sensitive in that way, I mean, you're likely to get clobbered. Hmm. Um, whereas, by the way, if you're sitting in a room of people and you're watching the news and, and you say something to ease the burden, um, uh, you're likely to ease the burden. Um, uh, Twitter's got a funny feel to it. And even on stage, I, I, I made an ISIS joke one night, and I regretted it the minute the words came out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the crowd was charitable, um, uh, because although they, although they although they groaned in response, they they didn't hold me personally responsible for the rest of the night. Um, you know, sometimes it's just not worth the risk. So, in this Twitter, you know, world, do you self censor more? Do you think other comedians self censor because of that? I mean, the truth is, we all self-censor. I mean, on stage, certainly we self-censor. I think, if anything, I think Twitter, sometimes you, you know, it's more, you know how when you, I don't do this, but do you know how when you drive with people in their cars, sometimes they yell mean things at other drivers, mm-hmm. or they're constantly saying mean things about other drivers, even though they're not yelling it out the window, um, because they're in their little, you know, they're in their little cocoon, and so they feel safe to do so. I mean, I think Twitter has more of a feeling of that. Um, you know, the truth is people have written me things via Twitter that they would never say to me. Um, so, uh, I, 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 you know, I can't speak for everybody, but my intention, um, both on stage and, and via Twitter is to, um, you know, is to make people's burdens lighter um, by the fact, but, 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 you know, by the fact that we all have so much in common. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a 16-year-old son. I talk about him a lot on stage, the poor little fella. Um, I, and I talk about him a lot on Twitter because, you know what? A, a 16-year-old boy <laughs> can really be difficult. And the truth is, I have found from sharing some things about raising my 16-year-old boy um, that I am not the only one. And sometimes parenting can be one of the most lonely tasks in the world. Um, You just constantly feel like a failure and a loser. And in truth, 
you're just going through a passage of life that's quite common, which isn't to say that everybody struggles with their 16-year-old boy, but certainly a lot of us do. And, you know, just by laughing about it, it, it eases the burden a little bit. I mean, a lot of times it's a, a laugh of recognition. And, uh, it's a, you know, there, there, there doesn't even have to be a joke there. You can just plain say, you know, you know, we're going through this. And people laugh. It, it's a relief to find out you're not the only one. And it's a wonderful relief to hear from people to say, oh, my gosh, I had that, and now he's 25 and he's great. <laughs> or, you know, so the same thing for when a bad thing happens around the, you know, around the country, around the world. There's, you know, sometimes just that shared uh, humanity, um, that's, I have no idea why we were designed the way we are, brain-wise and all that, but, um, it, it, you know, Laughter releases endorphins, and it eases pain. Uh, so that's what I'm aiming for, anyways. I, and when I'm on stage, one of the things I'm aiming for is I, I, I want every single audience member to at least one time during the evening fear incontinence. <laughs> right. You know, That'd Twitter doesn't work goal. the same way. Right. But I do feel mm-hmm. if, if it has any value at all, and I'm not totally certain that it does, but if it has any value at all, it, it again, is that kind of shared. Uh, and also sometimes I like to kind of do a, a window on my world. Um, I often, before I go on, uh, take a picture of a, a chair in the backstage and tweet it, um, which I started doing because I think, you know, a lot of times, like, for example, the I don't know what they're doing with the reception thing. Um, there that night, I, I, I'm, not a pl- I, I'm not a part of the planning, um, but... A lot of times, like charities and stuff, will want to know if they can auction off backstage passes. And I'm forever telling them, nobody wants to come backstage. (laughs) Some theaters have a lovely backstage, but the majority of them, it's a cement room. Um, uh, it's, It's not always all that accommodating and certainly not that exciting. It's just me back there, for heaven's sakes. It'd be one thing if I was in a band. Uh, you know, okay, then, you, you know, you, you could hang out with the, you know, the the drunken drummer or something, but it's pretty stark. Um, so anyways, I, I, one night I took a picture of the of the chair backstage just to sort of demonstrate to people that it's, it's not quite as classy and elaborate as they might be thinking. Um, and somehow I got in the habit of doing that. Therefore, every night before I go on, I take a picture of a chair in the backstage area and I tweet it. I often, uh, I don't know. I try to think where I was. Gillette, Wyoming. Um, I, t- I tweeted some photos of the uh, of the baggage claim, which I think turned out to have been a mistake. They had I don't know what they're called, um, like these displays behind plexiglass of stuffed um, wildlife. Uh, they, like they had a tableau of uh, prairie dogs. I think it was. <laughs> And I took a picture of that, and I and I said, "These are the, you know, this is the baggage claim uh, at, at Gillette, Wyoming." I could swear I saw my bag on the turnstile thing before that. But after <laughs> and, I took the picture gone. and tweeted it, when I went over to get my bag, it wasn't there. <laughs> and it took a week for it to get to me. <laughs> so. I'm pretty certain I made people angry at the Gillette baggage claim. So you got to be careful. You got to be careful. Yeah, here. exactly. You know. Not not every joke strikes everyone the same way. By the way, we have a prairie dog controversy in Utah. There, there's some people who just hate them as pests. 
the Southern Utah areas are digging up, uh, you know, one cemetery, for example, and others who really want to protect them. So uh, prairie dogs are sort of, that's a, that's a touchy subject for us in Utah. It's so. a sensitive issue. A See sensitive what I mean? Issue, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? You know, you, 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 you know, you think you're doing an innocent piece about prairie dogs, and the next thing you know, you know, some of them, you know, my mother was a prairie dog. I, I, it's very, you, you, you really, you, you know, if you're too safe, then you're not going to be entertaining, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, I, I try, I am the kind, of, I have the kind of personality, by the way, where, um, you know, I, I could have hundreds of people write in on Twitter and say, oh my gosh, that was funny. Oh my gosh, I loved that. Oh, you know, I related to that or whatever. Oh boy, that was a funny way to start my morning. And then there's one person who writes in, you know, my mother was a prairie dog, how dare you? (laughs) And I can't get my mind off the person who wrote in. And, you know, when I talk to the audience a lot of times, um, I I randomly pick who I'm going to talk to. I mean, I have no idea. You know, my manager always tells people I, I, I instinctively choose the right person, which is not true at all. Um, it's really not true at all. I mean, the truth is when you get almost anybody talking, they're great to talk to. Um, uh, but occasionally I, I, I'm drawn to the you know older gentleman with, it, with his arms crossed in the third row. You know what I mean? If there's somebody who looks like they're having an absolutely miserable time, it eats away at the side of my brain, and I and I have to. And it's very dangerous because you could be asking a person who's really angry, either that they're there or about something that I've said, or you know they they may have an opinion that's better left un, un, unexpressed in that moment. Um, but uh, I don't know. Rejection really intrigues me. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is intriguing, and 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 it does provoke I'll that response. You- yes. A public radio station is very much like that, I would think. Yes. You guys get the people who write in and say, you know, you said is instead of was. Yeah, yeah, right? we do. We do. We get the grammar police. Yeah, yeah. So we yeah. do. Yeah, and and the people that um, take umbrage with um, facts and and uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, the good news is that you have people who are really listening. Um. And the and the bad news is that uh, y- y- you know just nothing slides. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And uh, yeah, so it yeah. Is so, dual, so you guys would know what I'm would know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, you def- know? There's definitely. A, I, and 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 I and I think most public radio stations respond um, very sincerely and very you know very very deliberately uh, with post haste uh, to to <laughs> those to those uh, you know messages and complaints and this and that, which is very much like my work. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is true. It is true. Thousands of people are loving you, and one guy writes and says, "I think you paused in the wrong place." <laughs> and then you focus on that guy. Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Yeah, and then you yeah. have meetings about yeah, that guy, yes, you and do. then yes. heads roll because of that yes. guy. Uh, We're going to take another break. We'll be back with our last segment with Paula Poundstone. She's uh, coming to Logan, and she'll be at the Ellen Eccles Theater in downtown Logan on Saturday. Tickets are still available. You can uh, go to cashearts.org to uh, book your tickets. Cashearts.org promises to be a great evening. Paula Poundstone, uh, one of the prominent uh, stand-up comedians in uh, in the country, and uh, she's a panelist, as you no doubt know, on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Uh, you can hear her uh, most weekends uh, here on Utah Public Radio and uh, on UPR. You can hear it uh, Saturday mornings at 9, repeated Sunday mornings at 11. 
There's a reception for UPR members following the show. That is sold out, but you can still get to the show. Uh, CashArts.org. More with Paula Poundstone. And uh, Kylie and Moab, I'm uh, sure you've been waiting patiently for your email. We'll get to that following the break. In 1964, pianist Leon Fleischer's right hand simply stopped working. He went from being one of the world's great pianists to being a man with a tragic tale. He's found help, though, from Botox. Leon Fleischer's story, and we will hear the now 86-year-old pianist in concert this season playing music by Debussy on the next Performance Today from APM. Tuesday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Hey, UPR listeners, this is Jennifer Pemberton, letting you know that the State Environmental Agency is proposing a seasonal wood-burning ban in seven northern Utah counties, and they're accepting public comment. The ban could have an effect on winter air quality in our communities, so we want to know how you think the ban would affect you and if you support it. You can attend one of the State Air Quality Board's public hearings and share your thoughts. The meeting times are listed on our website. But we want to hear from you, too. Go to upr.org to submit your comments or tweet us at Utah Public Radio. Use the hashtag BurnBan. You can post your thoughts on our Facebook page, too. And if you're at the Logan hearing on January 21st, I'll be there to talk to you in person. More information on the proposed burn ban and the meeting times is at our website, upr.org. Thanks. We're talking with Paula Poundstone, stand-up comedian, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me panelist. Uh, she is on with us for another 10 minutes or so, and uh, she'll be performing uh, in Logan on Saturday. You have a chance to uh, go and see Paula Poundstone if you're going to be in the northern Utah area. And you get your tickets at cashearts.org. That's cashearts.org. And then a, we have a sold-out reception with the UPR members following that show. Uh, but you can get to the show in Logan on Saturday, cashearts.org. Uh, Paula Poundstone is, uh, her website is uh, paulapoundstone.com. If you want to check her out, she's also on Twitter and Facebook. And you can join the program here and interact with Paula Poundstone at 1-800-826-1495. 1-800-826-1495. You can join us on email to upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. We have a lot of Twitter traffic right now. You can join that and ask a question specifically there at Utah Public Radio. And you can join us on our Utah Public Radio Facebook page. So let's get directly to this comment and question from Kylie and Moab. Uh, via email. She says, Paula, I'm a big fan. You have me laughing. Mine, she mentions a part of her uh, body off. Whenever I hear you on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Thanks for that. I wanted to say thank you for being out as an atheist. That you've been willing to be open about this is something I really respect and appreciate. A quote I love from Ed Abbey, I'm not an atheist, but an earthiest. Be true to the earth. I actually consider myself an atheist and an earthiest. Thanks for being you. Thanks for making me laugh. That's Kylie in Moab. Well, that's very nice to hear. You know, more and more uh, atheists, I think, um, don't, uh, you know, uh, you know, are public about the fact that they're atheists. And I think there's, uh, she's right, there's a lot more, uh, 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 more of us out there than, than say so. Um, you know, I still go to church. I'm not a heathen. Kidding. Uh, <laughs> we, I didn't we go know. to an atheist. We go to an atheist church. We go to uh, we're, we're a place where a hundred bottles of beer on the wall to him, uh, which is very unusual. Right. Um, yeah, I believe I I I believe in her. 
that's uh, you know, you know, I I believe in the in the in the in the person beside me. That 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 works. Well, there you go. Uh, but I suppose as you know, if you're if you're prominent, like you, if a celebrity like you are, you know, there's uh, people pay attention. Obviously, more people pay attention when you, you know, when you express a, a belief or non-belief or whatever it is, uh, you know, apart from a quote-unquote regular person. Oh, I, suppo- I suppose. Uh, um, you know, I don't know why we're so reviled as a group, honestly. I, 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 I was listening to um, Richard Dawkins' uh, The God Delusion, and they were saying the, um, the, 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 what the what the low likelihood of an atheist ever getting elected for president was and it was it was it was it was, it was we were behind um a lot of criminal types hmm. <laughs> yeah. we were lower on the list uh than 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 than, than people have done you know a lot of bad things <laughs> um but uh i don't know i can live with that i don't need to be president right <laughs> Um, I'd like to return to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and I, I'm just, so a couple of questions. First, I want to t- have you talk about Carl Castle, who's recently retired. Uh, he's, he's scorekeeper emeritus now, I guess. He is. You still get Carl's voice on your answering machine when you win on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He's still churning out the answering machine messages. Oh, that's good. So, the, yeah, that's Yeah, that's which a, are very funny, impressive. by the way. I don't know if you've ever heard one. But uh, I never have. What, the, 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 the listener, the winner writes the copy and what's great about carl is he's very game you know he'll do he'll do whatever you want and uh and and therefore there's this you know very uh you know very news guy voice saying some pretty <laughs> silly stuff yeah. uh over, over over the over people's answering machines so they do come out really funny and i think the the, the... It was such a pleasant surprise, right? You heard Carl Castle all those years, and then you hear him doing Britney Spears' voices on Wait, Wait. It's it, that, that unexpectedness that made it even more funny. It's almost shocking. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, here's a, here's a guy who you, you assumed, um, right, was the voice of reason. And, uh, and now there he is, you're right, doing Britney Spears' impressions. Um, but uh, he loves it. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, you know, he... Wait, wait was uh, um, a really <laughs> a part of Carl's life that he really values, <laughs> yeah. um, which is which yeah, is wonderful. hard to believe coming from a guy that we were supposed to take serious all those years. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's it, but it's it's a wonderful twist. We have a caller, Tom in Castle Valley. Tom, uh, glad you joined the uh, the program. Go ahead with your question or comment. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, well, Paula has been a very strong advocate for libraries. And um, that's something you haven't talked about yet. Um, you use humor really well to uh, to advocate for America's libraries. Oh, thanks for thanks for bringing that up, Tom. I uh, I was going to get to that, but I I had not gotten there. Uh, so, Paula, you're, you you do advocate for libraries. I do. I love libraries. I I you know I. Uh, uh, to this day, I do my best writing in a library. Um, there's something about being around all those books that you know makes you feel jealous, uh, and 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 uh, and provokes uh, um, you know more uh, 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 more thoughts. Um, yeah, I, I you know they are um, they're different than when I was growing up. Um, you know, I, it, it used to be not that they were ever bad. Um, but 
uh, you know, they used to be uh, places with bun-toting shushers, um, and uh, you know, libraries are libraries are lively places. Um, they vary from community to community, but they have uh, you know CDs and DVDs and you know computers. Sadly, which I hate, but they have uh, um, lecture series and 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 book clubs and. Um, and uh, meeting places and homework rooms and and uh, you know teen support and 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 oh yeah books um, and they're great places of of community. I know uh, our library has a um, a lecture series as well, uh, and uh, I believe at one point they even had a uh, ukulele club. So they're covering a lot of bases, and um, and a lot of communities have been wise enough to, you know, sort of restore them and take care of them. And and uh, I, you know, a lot of people think computers will make them obsolete. I disagree. I, I first of all, I don't think human contact can go obsolete. Uh, I don't think going and talking to somebody who, who you know who who knows where to find information will ever be obsolete. Um, so, so yeah, I love libraries. Uh, so, Tom, it sounds like you love libraries as well. Well, I do, and uh, I happen to be married to a bun-balancing, bespeckled <laughs> librarian who uh, <laughs> sits down with noisy toddlers. All and, right, uh, She very much values uh, your support for libraries. Oh, oh that's well, nice thank to you, hear. Tom. Thanks, Appreciate that, Tom. Do you have thank another? You. Okay, thank you. Uh, so yeah, I, I, reading your bio here, um, you uh, you uh, are a national spokesperson for United for Libraries, and they're Friends of Libraries National Network. They're so funny. They change their name all the time. I didn't even know they were called United for Libraries. Now <laughs> they, just, they, they, they they're always yeah. trying to find a name that includes all the you know all the people that are library supporters. You know the the trustees and the librarians and the you know friends of the libraries i used to think that libraries were totally funded by the government and um uh, although they get some funds from the government in fact that's not true they are um they are also funded by uh, groups called now united for libraries um which uh, is, are, are organizations that raise money so that they can offer all the all the things that uh, um you know that i mentioned before and um uh, certainly where we live in santa monica um, they have a great tie to the schools. Um, we, we we have a wonderful children's librarian who, uh, you know, who went to the schools and read to the kids and talked to them about choosing books and blah, blah, blah. You know, my daughter, when I first started, work, you know, doing, I mean, I'm not paid to work for libraries, but when I first started doing, you know, supportive work with them, um, my daughter was at an age where she was reading those Oh my gosh! What the heck was the name of that series? Uh, like, um, oh, it's really tacky, um, like teenage girl series of books. I can't remember now the name of it. But I used to say to her, "I go look at, I'm a library supporter, and here you are reading these horrible books. <laughs> put, a, put a book cover over that, so if anybody sees it, they you know they don't associate it with us." 
I forget what the name of the oh oh my gosh Gossip Girl that's what it is they're oh, horrible, yes. horrible Gossip Girls yes uh, we're, the, we're you just... know got her through the door of reading so good for her well yeah yeah get it get her through the door uh, and I understand you have to go here in about a minute I wanted to get this uh, this tweet in this is uh, on uh, our uh, our Twitter feed here this is at LD Knudsen five. Uh, and she says, uh, Paula, meaning you, Paula Poundstone, comes four days before my babies do. Does laughter induce labor? Oh, I would think. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I want her to give birth there in the audience, but it could be fun. It, it could be. It, it could be a memorable show. And then she finishes yeah, the Yeah, it could by be s- like the opposite of the Lamaze thing. We could <laughs> just right. we could laugh at the baby as it comes out. Yes, a memorable entrance. And then she goes on her tweet, says she she's going to come anyway to the show. So uh, anyway. Oh, wow. Uh, well, we would certainly welcome her. So uh, Paula Poundstone's coming to Logan. She'll uh, do her uh, uh, stand-up comedy routine uh, there in... I'll do uh, my labor-inducing stand-up l- comedy labor-inducing routine. Labor-inducing routine. As you're going to be um, extra funny. Just to, just try to induce labor. Uh, to place that's to right. Get... Also, you know, to, to welcome the baby into the world. Who wants to come... Who who wants to get born into a world with no humor? So right. I think this is going to be very good. Should be good. Uh, the place to get tickets is casharts.org. Casharts.org. Uh, Paula Poundstone's been a pleasure thank you so much great it was nice talking with you thank you we'll look forward to seeing you uh, in logan on saturday cool. um and uh, coming up tomorrow we're going to have our inaugural episode of access utah with our upr chapter of the morning edition book club we're encouraging people to read ektar tobotter's deep dark down dark and to uh, join us tomorrow on the program to talk about it uh, so we'll hope you join us uh, tomorrow and thanks for listening today Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread. At 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3. Featuring lunch panini salads, sandwiches, and soups. Full menu at crumbbrothers.com. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.